Glad you guys have joined us for this series. I'm excited to wrap things up tonight. As you recall, we have been doing the spiritual warfare series because I really wanted us to be a church who is biblically informed, spiritually engaged, and victoriously minded. That's been the goal is to make sure that we have good biblical information so that we can be very spiritually engaged and that as we walk through this life that we have victory on our minds and hearts because of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you that we are a people as followers of Christ who are engaged in warfare. We are on active duty and each and every day is an engagement in a spiritual battle. You recall we've been talking on Sunday mornings about staying in the race, running the race, keeping in it, no matter what. I mean, this is a spiritual battlefield. And uh, this, this passage in Ephesians is the most extensive passage in all of Scripture on spiritual warfare. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians and they are living in a place that is as dark and uh, mysteriously evil as any place you can imagine in the first century. And that's why in this passage we have the most exhaustive treatment of spiritual warfare of any other passage in Scripture because of the place that Paul is writing. And so what we're told here certainly fits what we deal with in our life every single day. This is a definitive passage that gives us direction. So let's dig into this last piece of armor tonight in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. You remember last time we finished up the helmet of salvation, and so we'll pick up here with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, we'll wrap up this section with all prayer, petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, With this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. And then Paul asked them to pray for him and so on. But the the last piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is defined here as the Word of God. Now, interestingly, the the choice of words for describing the sword of the Spirit as the Word of God is not the typical choice used to describe the written Word of God. It is the word that describes the spoken word of God. Now we think about this in context. Why would Paul choose a word that references the spoken word of God? Well, think about wartime and battle zones and how important communication is. This is a reference to wartime communication. If you're in a battle or in a fight and you can't talk with your commander, you are severely hampered. You don't know what to do, where to go. You don't have the intel that you need to be able to figure out what you're supposed to do in the heat of the moment. Well, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the spoken Word of God in the context of a relationship that's founded on what God has said in His Word, His written Word, is our wartime communication. Uh, This last couple days, we were in College Station, and one of the things we did uh, Monday night is we mentioned to Malin um, the place that Lindley and I got engaged, and uh, she showed enough interest to make Lindley and I want to walk down memory lane a little bit, and so we 
took her and uh, Lindley's parents. We'd never taken them there to this place where I proposed to Lindley. And uh, so it was kind of a nostalgic moment. We get there and, and uh, we talk about it or whatever. And uh, we, we went to that location and we, we had that experience and uh, we communicated what that was about to Lindley. And I have no idea why I just told you that story. I really don't. A while ago, I had a really good reason for telling you that story. Right now, not so much. Anyway, it'll come to me in a second. The sword of the Spirit, which is the spoken word of God, is about our wartime communication, making sure that we are living in a place in our walk with the Lord so that we hear Him speak to us. Okay, so I took, I took them to that location because... That was an important moment in my life. I believed that God wanted me to ask Lindley to marry me. I believe God had said that to me. Now, that's kind of a bold statement. Especially if she doesn't believe that. I mean, that's kind of risky. Now, I was fortunate enough to be confident that she believed that as well. So when I got on my knee to ask her, she said yes and everything was good. But... But what if I believed that and she didn't believe that? And she said no. Did, did I mishear God? What, what happened? What went wrong? Did she not hear the Lord? What is the situation there? And what I want us to understand is that this concept of the spoken word of God is intricately linked to the written word of God. And if you're going to use this weapon effectively, you have to live within certain parameters. And one of the parameters is that the written word of God is our authority. And that the primary way God speaks to us is in a way that we can certainly know it's Him speaking. And the certain words of God that He has spoken to us are right here in this book. Right? So if I believe that God wants me to marry Lindley, then I can exercise that belief as long as that belief about what He said is in line with what I know He has said. And what I know He has said is that I should not marry someone that is not spiritually passionate about Jesus in a way that I'm spiritually passionate about Jesus. Among other things about pre-marriage relationships. Well, if everything that I believe God is saying falls within those parameters, there's nothing wrong with pursuing that possibility, but I have to make sure that I maintain the perspective that what God has certainly said is the authority. So if I think that Lindley should marry me and she says... I don't think I'm going to marry you. Well, then I need to go back to what God's word certainly does say. And God's word certainly does say that if I desire to be married, I should look for someone who is a follower of Christ. And if I can't find a follower of Christ that wants to marry me, too bad. I I can't make God say what God doesn't say, and I've got to make sure that what he has said is the authority in my life. Right? The second parameter that you've got to have in place is that the, the, 
the meaning in Scripture intended by God is the same as the intent of the author who wrote the Scripture under the inspiration of God. In other words, when you're wanting God to speak to you in the midst of wartime activities, you don't say, okay, God, speak to me, and you turn and you look at this and you say, Behold, I'm going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem. Time to eat. I mean, that, that's not how you use God's word. See, that's totally ignoring context, just taking words as if God is using this book mysteriously like almost a crystal ball and letting God's words say to me what I want them to say so that I feel guided by him. You can't do that. You're going to use the sword of the Spirit. If you're going to have communication with God in the midst of your battle, then you have to make sure that you are resting completely on the authority of the Scripture primarily. That's your primary authority. And that everything that God has certainly said, you're understanding through the context of how He said it, with the author's intent being synonymous with God's intent. That the message God has for us is found through the message the author intended us to understand. Make sense? So, let's talk more about wartime. Let's, have, let's think about a situation where I am offended by something that someone did. And it makes me really angry. Okay, I just have a natural human reaction of feeling angry or hurt because of what someone did. In that moment, if I take up the sword of the Spirit, here's what I'm going to do. Lord, what have you said to me about anger? I could say it like this. Lord, what are you saying to me about anger? So instead of responding emotionally to the moment... I am taking up the wartime communication with God and I'm asking Him what He says to me in the moment of temptation to be angry. And at that moment, He might bring to my mind James 1.20 because I have previously read and learned about that verse which says the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And I in that moment would say I'm not going down the path of anger because I would rather walk the path of righteousness. And my wartime communication, hearing the Lord through His Spirit speak to my heart in the moment in a certain manner gives me confidence to follow Him away from the temptation and towards obedience to Him. It's critical that we put ourselves in a position to be able to have that kind of communication from the Lord. And so we need to be people who, first of all, have a relationship with the Lord. This all is built in the context of knowing the Lord through Jesus Christ. If you've not made the decision to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've not asked Him to forgive you of your sins and decided to follow Him with your life, you're not going to have wartime communication in your life with the Lord. It's by His Spirit that He speaks to you the words about Himself that can change the way you live your life. And so you've got to make a decision to follow Jesus Christ. And secondly, you've got to follow it up with a regular, consistent exposure to what He has said. 
so that everything in your life you think he is saying is measured against this. So that you have plenty of opportunity for the Spirit of God to bring into your mind things that he has said for that moment for him to speak to you in regard to your situation. You face temptation. You face attacks of the enemy. You need to hear who God is and what he has promised and what he has said and his spirit will bring those things to mind if you will saturate your heart and your mind with his word. You say, well, I haven't done much of that. How is he going to help me? Well, if you have decided to follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and you understand the basic message of the gospel, you have enough of what God has revealed to, to, to face nearly every single temptation you will handle. And as you pour over God's word regularly and consistently in your life, you have more and more for God to use to speak to you, to bring to mind so that you might follow him having heard his spirit prompt your heart about his word. I'll never forget, my dad had not walked with the Lord in many, many years. Not the way that I had previously seen him walk with the Lord before he and my mom divorced. After they divorced, he pretty much went off the radar spiritually as far as I could see from my vantage point as his son. So I prayed for him for years and years to come back to the Lord. And I began to pray specifically, Lord, would you do something in his life that would, that would make him realize that you are speaking to him and he cannot explain it away as anything else but your voice, and you just draw him back to yourself. That was my prayer. We were sitting together up here at Wisteria Place. We were visiting his mom, my mama, and uh, she went to bed early, and so we went out on the couches in the hallway just to talk and hang out, and he said, Kevin, you know, something really strange has been happening to me lately. I said, yeah, what's that, Dad? And he said, well, years ago, I memorized tons of scriptures. And lately, all these scriptures that I haven't looked at in years have just been coming back to my mind over and over again. He goes, and I think it's time for me to start walking with the Lord again. God wants to speak to you in a way that you certainly know it's Him. And the more you invest your life in what He has certainly said, I am convinced the more you will hear him speak to you in the midst of this battle. Be a person of God's word so you can be a person who knows God's voice in every circumstance you face. Sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now we talked about every spiritual armor, piece of armor, Let's just review that real quickly and walk through that together. The first one is the belt of truth. So if you put on the belt of truth, then, then you are essentially asking and answering the question, am I lining up my life with the person and character of God? Is there anything in my life that is, is, is not reflecting that I've agreed with who God has said He is? 
okay? Belt of truth. I'm living with sincerity, genuineness, as a person who claims to follow Christ. I'm striving to make sure my life, what I think, what I feel, what I do, what I plan, what I dream, lines up with who God has said he is. Belt of truth. Then the next one is uh, putting on the breastplate of righteousness because Jesus Christ has made me righteous through my faith in him. I'm going to strive so that righteousness becomes evident in my everyday life. So I want to put on righteousness every day. I'm just going to strive to be reflecting the righteousness that I've been given. All right? Okay, the next one is your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Are you putting on a preparation or readiness to share the gospel? Are you waking up every day and saying, I am ready to be a vessel for you to tell someone about Jesus? See, God, I know you want people to know about your son, and so I want to be that vessel. I'm ready. I'm looking. I'm creating. I'm doing whatever it takes to be able to share the gospel with someone today. Are you ready to share the gospel? All right, the next one is the shield of faith. Are you making sure that things you think and feel about your life and your decisions and your situations are always being measured against the things that God is saying you should believe? When it comes specifically to temptations of sin, which is really the fiery darts of the enemy, Are you looking at those temptations to do this or that that you think might be okay or permissible? Are you looking at that through the lens of what does God say about that? When you talked about the example of lust, the temptation to look at someone with uh, sexual desire, and that we should look at that opportunity that is presented in, in lots of circumstances every day and does offer some temporary pleasure to those who indulge, We should look at that opportunity and say, I want to measure this against what God's word says. And God's word says that that temporary pleasure is just a deception to make me buy into that opportunity so that I eventually soak up the death it will bring in my life. God's word says it's defrauding of my marriage life. God's word says that it's not an opportunity to experience what I've been made for. It's an opportunity to be bankrupt from what I was made for because only the pure in heart see God. And I need to walk in the righteousness that Christ has given me if I want to experience the presence of God. So, so we're measuring these temptations and we're, we're saying, I want to surrender to what God says, not what the temptations offer me. All right? Then the next one is the helmet of salvation. Am I trusting the Lord's protection in my life even if it means temporary discomfort? Because I know that Lord's protection is ultimately about my soul and eternity and not ultimately about my life here. And that my life here in Christ just might be one of a lot of pain and suffering and persecution, but it's no less the protection of God in my life. Am I willing to follow him no matter what he calls me to do because I know he's protected me, the helmet of salvation. And then the sword of the spirit, which we talked about tonight, which is the word of God. Okay, then we're given this this command with all prayer and petition pray at all times in the spirit okay when you when you walk through that 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 armor of god those seven things there 
And if you're working towards saying, yeah, I'm good, I'm good, the Lord's working, I'm, I'm trying, I'm striving, this is where I'm living, I put on the armor of God, guess what? You're going to be in perfect position to pray in the Spirit. Because praying in the Spirit means that you are praying under the influence of the Spirit. And if your life is in line with who God is, if your life is striving towards righteousness that Christ gave you, if your life is ready to speak the gospel at any moment, you're ready to tell somebody about Jesus, if your life is set in a position where you know God's protected you and anything could happen to you in this life and you're going to be just fine so you're not scared about following him into any endeavor, if, if you've put yourself in that position, I guarantee you, you are ready to pray in the Spirit under the leadership of the Spirit. Now the passage also tells us to pray at all times. I think it's important to recognize that as a biblical concept. It's talked about in several locations in Scripture, and it certainly is not meaning for us to be talking all the time. This is not a passage that says you should talk to God constantly. This is a passage that is emphasizing that we should constantly strive to be under the influence of the Spirit so that we might listen when we should listen and speak when we should speak in a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. That, that's what we're being encouraged to do. So that when we're living in situations, we know when we should be listening to the Lord. When we're living in situations, having to make decisions, we know when we should say something about the Lord or we should say something to the Lord. We know when to speak and when to listen because we're living under the influence of the Spirit. So we're to pray in the Spirit. We're to pray at all times. Now, I recognize from my own life that this concept of praying at all times is a good goal, but is not something that I have yet experienced. It's that same concept of I'm pressing on to get to the mark, but I've not yet arrived. I've not yet arrived to the moment where I can say 24-7, 365 days a year, I'm praying. I mean, if that's you, then I'd love you to do a class because I want to sit in that class, you know? I mean, we're all striving to get there together. And so think about it in these terms. We will be on the way to praying in the Spirit at all times if we are trying to pray in the Spirit sometimes. All right? And, and so you've got to start somewhere. And if you would say tonight, I'm not praying in the Spirit enough, well, then you fit this category. Just just work on praying in the Spirit more time, sometimes, anytime, and you're moving in the right direction. And so whatever it takes in your life to put up reminders and, and to make yourself think about praying and being sensitive to what the Spirit is doing, whatever it takes in your life to, to, to really encourage a life of sensitivity to the Spirit, do it. If it means you put post-it notes in your, in your car, in your bathroom, on your refrigerator. I mean, you have post-it notes as wallpaper, whatever you got to do, do it so that you will be increasing your sensitivity to the Lord. I encourage you to grab a prayer partner for a time. You know, ask somebody, hey, for the next six weeks, let's pray together. Let's once a week get together and pray together, and let's just remind each other on a consistent basis to be praying, and let's make sure we are really cultivating a life of prayer, sensitivity to the Lord, listening when we should be listening, speaking when we should be speaking. And ask somebody to pray with you. You know, something else that you can do is just use a prayer journal. You can just start a prayer journal and write down some of your prayers. And um, if you're not a journaling type of person, 
then don't you know, get in the habit of beating yourself up because you didn't write in your journal every day. Just write in it when you can, and when you do it, that's great. Just write some prayers down that helps cultivate a life of sensitivity to the Spirit. Think about the things that the Bible encourages you to pray for. The Bible encourages you to pray um, for people who hurt you. I, I, I guarantee that's not easy to do. But if you'll cultivate that that discipline in your life, it will encourage a sensitivity to the Spirit. Pray for the people who hurt you. Pray for people who can step into the harvest and be a laborer in the harvest. The Bible encourages us to do that. It'll encourage you to be sensitive to the Spirit if you'll pray that way. The Bible encourages us to pray for those in authority over us. Pray for people who are in authority over you. If you'll follow the biblical commands and directives for prayer, the Spirit of God will help you. Romans 8 talks about the Spirit helping you pray. God wants to help you pray. So strive to pray at all times, and you'll find yourself praying more than you pray right now, which is exactly where you need to be moving, praying at all times in the Spirit. Now, if you'll notice, the end of that That phrase in verse 19 says, with this in view, be on alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. We we are to do all of this spiritual armor and all of our prayer having girded ourselves in the spiritual armor so that we might pray and be on alert with perseverance for all the saints, for all other believers. If you, if you look back at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we're not going to read this, but if you want to read this at a later time, you, you can see this. This is really the foundation for Ephesians chapter 6. This is the part of Ephesians where Paul starts talking about the function of the church, its leaders and its people, who together are supposed to be functioning in a way that everybody's built up in the unity of the faith, so that we speak the truth in love and we really help each other grow in Christ. And the reason we do this together is so that we will not be deceived by the enemy. Now, isn't it interesting that in chapter 4, he says, it's going to take you being the church for the glory of Christ for you to experience victory over the enemy. And then he gets to Ephesians 6 and he says, you need to make sure you put on the spiritual armor of God so that you can pray for and be alert for all the believers. And it creates this picture that we are not supposed to be an army of one. This whole thing about the spiritual armor, yeah, you got to put it on. you got to make sure you're putting on each piece of that. But it's not so that you can be an army of one and defeat the schemes of the enemy. It's so that you can join the army, the church of the living God, and experience spiritual victory in spiritual warfare. The key is the church. The key is not you putting on your armor so you can stand. The key is us putting on our armor so we can stand together. So we can follow Christ together. The the key is the church. The, The church is the unique gift 
given to us as believers that grants us an unparalleled experience of victorious spiritual warfare. I know the reality is that some of us in this room and many of us not in this room don't like the church. I mean, I mean we like the idea of the universal church because the universal church is, is not real. It's this perfect, nobody gets hurt, I'm a part of the body of Christ and it's wonderful there, but the local church, it's got problems. And we make this distinction between the universal church and the local church saying the body of Christ, yeah, that's good, I'm a part of that because Jesus saved me, but the local church, meh, not too sure about that one, got a lot of problems, been hurt there, I go, I'm a part of it, my church is good, not like that other church. I mean, we, we talk about the local church as if it's different from the universal church, and a lot of times we talk about the local church like we don't like her that much. And the Bible doesn't make that distinction like that. And I just want to encourage you tonight to recognize that there is a tremendous benefit for our lives in the church in regard to spiritual warfare. You cannot experience the victory of spiritual warfare in Christ outside of the local church. I'll go even further to say this. You cannot obey Jesus Christ if you leave the church out of your life. And I'm not talking about um, just being here. Don't misunderstand me. I'm talking about having the same perspective towards the church that Jesus has. That's what I mean by not leaving the church out of your life. You have to see the church like Jesus sees the church or you cannot be living in full obedience to Jesus Christ. And you certainly will not experience the benefit of the church in spiritual warfare if you do not hold the same position that Jesus Christ holds towards the church. See, God has ordained the church to provide an incredible benefit for us, the benefit for protection. It is within the church that God has ordained teaching of the truth for the protection of believers. It is within the church that God has ordained discipline of people who are walking away from Christ for the protection of those who want to continue to walk with Christ. It's within the church that God provides protection from the threat of discipline so that you might not walk away from the Lord. Uh, Spiritual gifts are there so that we might be protected in the teaching of the Word of God. So protection. God has ordained the church to provide direction for us. It is in the context of the church that we understand what God has said and who God is. It's in the context of the church that we get answers about God's will. God wants you to know what you're supposed to do with your life. And a part of the way you are to determine God's will for your life is within the context of the church. Because the church is ordained by God to help us with direction. And I'm telling you, Satan wants us to be a people who are not protected and have no direction. 
The church is the place where God has ordained correction to occur among believers so that we receive regular encouragement through the relationships that we share. Deep, lasting, God-changing encouragement. And where when we don't walk with the Lord in any minor way, that somebody's come alongside us and saying, hey, pay attention to what the Lord is saying. Hey, let's go with the Lord. Let's don't go that way. And if we keep walking away from the Lord, the, the, the church is ordained by God to discipline so that we come back home. When I have attitudes or feelings or thoughts, make decisions that are contrary to what God wants for my life, the church is there to help me. When I have decisions to make and I don't want to know what to do, and I start to make decisions and I'm flailing from the Lord because of the decisions I'm making, the church is there to help me get back on track. When I have a decision to make about what I need to do with the rest of my life, the church is there with all its wisdom, with all its experience to provide direction and correction in my life. The church is there to provide exhortation. We are called to serve one another with spiritual gifts, so we're exhorted to follow the Lord. We're called to relate to one another in fellowship and Christ-like love, so we love Christ more and love each other more. We're called to serve selflessly, so we feel a sense of God's purpose at work in us. Exhortation. The church is designed to provide this benefit for us that will overcome the schemes of the enemy. And there's an aspect of spiritual warfare that will not be experienced in your life victoriously if you are not deeply connected to the church like Jesus thinks you ought to be connected. People who are not connected to the church are like sitting ducks. And I fear that the enemy is using a tactic on our world right now to downplay, demean, and decrease the view of the church so that we treat it more like an organization we can come to when we like it. We give our money to when they're doing with our money what we want them to do. We don't like it, we'll go to the church down the street. When somebody hurts us, we'll go somewhere else for a while because they won't hurt us until they get to know us and they discover that we don't, are not that likable and then they'll hurt us. I mean... We, I mean, we're doing all kinds of weird stuff right now in Christianity and the world's looking in on us and the, and the crazy thing is the world sees the church and says, I don't see anything worth having there and what makes it even worse is a lot of people in the church are looking at the church and saying, I don't see anything that I really like there either. And there's no question the church has problems. No doubt the church is full of problems, but guess what? If you look at the church through the lens of Christ, the problems in the church are by design. Hello? The church is full of people. I mean, I don't think that God's looking at us saying, well, you guys messed up the church. I'll just let you flail along. I don't care about you anymore. That's not what God is doing. He designed the church and he saved us who are broken, saved for the grace of Christ. And he put us together in a body, in a fellowship. And guess what we're going to do to each other? We're going to hurt each other. We're going we're to stab each other. We're going to backbite each other. We're going to gossip about each other. We're going to treat each other poorly. You know why? Because we are all being sanctified. And that means we are not yet perfect. And our imperfections are going to work themselves out in here in a pretty amazing way. By design. 
And too many of us are looking at those imperfections and saying, I don't like the church. Instead of looking at the imperfections and seeing God's handiwork, knowing that we are called to follow Christ. And because he loves us and forgave us, we love and forgive others. Regardless. See, when the world sees that, they see Jesus. Isn't that what scripture says? I set you apart to love because I have loved you. What better place to work on following Christ than this place? But, but we got to hold the position on the church that Jesus does. I know you know that I like bluebell ice cream. Love, love that stuff. And, and I love it mainly because, and this is not the main reason, I love it because it goes with a lot of stuff, no doubt. I mean, you can put hot fudge on that, chocolate syrup, chocolate chips, brownies, cookies. You can put all that stuff in homemade vanilla ice cream. It's delicious. But the reason I love Bluebell is because you can eat it pure, just straight, and it is awesome. I mean, it's like, I don't need anything with this. It's just heavenly, you know, just beautiful. And, and here's the deal. Far too many of us believe and act like the church is an add-in. That my relationship with Christ is the bluebell, and I just throw in a little Oreo when I need it, a little chocolate chip when I'm interested in it, and when I don't want it, I'm just going to walk away because I've got Jesus. Wrong. You don't get Jesus without the church. You don't get the church without Jesus. You cannot follow Jesus without loving the church. The church is not an add-in. It is the place we are to experience the greatest of benefits for spiritual warfare. But we got to see it the way Jesus sees it. There's this concept, the kingdom of the uh, priests and the, the, the priesthood, the believer and the Priesthood, the believers, the two different words here. If we believe what Christ has said about the church, we're going to believe and understand that we are saved by Jesus to be in the church. All right? So what that means is priesthood of the believer. That's the first term, singular. I'm going to be real quick here, so follow me on this. Jesus saved me so that I can know God personally. I don't need someone else to tell me how to know God because Jesus Christ is my mediator and I'm ushered in the presence of God and can know him personally. But Jesus didn't save me just to know God. He saved me to be in the church as a kingdom of priests who know God together. I am supposed to function in a community so that I know God's word through the community. I know God's will through the community. It's about the church. And if we get those two perspectives out of balance, we will be susceptible to the enemy's ploy. You cannot afford to abandon the church because of the benefit the church brings in spiritual warfare. I just want to ask you a personal question then I wrap things up here. Do you, do you, this is very personal. I'm probably going to offend somebody right now, okay? Just going to warn you ahead of time. Do you really believe that I have stayed at Southside for 13 years because you are the most wonderful people in the world to pastor? 
Because you've never hurt me, never made me angry. You've always paid me what I think I deserve. You've given me everything I've wanted, and this has been the greatest experience for my family. Do you think that Abilene is the greatest place in the world to live? Get real. I mean, for 13 years, I have been hurt more than I can imagine by you. But I have been loved and sharpened and blessed beyond measure. I wouldn't trade this time for anything because of what God has done in bringing me benefit of staying where he called me. I promise you that from the day I came, I said this, and I'll stay true to this till the day I die. I will never leave this place until God calls me. I don't care what opportunity comes along. I don't care what benefit may present itself. Until God calls me, I'm not leaving. This is the place of benefit that God has given me. And you would expect nothing less of me. And so I'm asking you to consider that I've only taken a biblical perspective on the church. And I invite you to join me in seeing the church like Jesus does. Because if you don't, you will not win in spiritual warfare.